the end of a 116-year era has come. It all began in 1866 in Massachusetts with the New England Confectionery Company, Nico as it's called, and they started printing messages on various shapes of candy. By 1902, the candy assumed its familiar chalky heart shape with simple messages printing, printed on those small hearts like, love you, kiss me, be mine. How many grade school romances were begun by these Nico conversation hearts? Valentine's Day in second grade, you exchange your Valentine with the whole class and leave that one carefully chosen heart very in, uh, discreetly on the corner of that special person's desk. It was simple, yet oh, so risky, your heart pounding in your chest. People proposed marriage with the marry me heart. This little piece of candy, able to forge new relationships, to say something that you can't muster yourself, words from the depths of your heart. A while back, the company, well, they decided to take some risks themselves. First, they added some new, more modern messages like groovy and fax me. I got to say, if someone can find a way to fax a love note to you today, you best marry that person on the spot, right? (laughs) But a few years ago, they took the biggest risk of all. Nico changed the recipe. Maybe you remember reading this in the news. They were interested in the health food craze. Everyone concerned about all the preservatives and corn syrup and this idea that a candy that needed no packaging but a cardboard box and it could taste the same no matter how long it's set in your desk drawer. (laughs) They thought that, well, maybe in today's world this was unappealing. So they made the candy, well, less toxic, less chalky and more chewy, and people, well, people were outraged. They talked about their hate letters they got. How dare they take such a risk? Gone are the classic flavors I once loved, one person wrote. Seriously, how do you just up and change an American candy staple like that? The candy that taught us to take risks with love was now being pummeled for taking a risk of their own. They ended up tweaking the recipe again and again and finally settled on one that actually got some good reviews that was supposedly better for you, better tasting, and more true to the original. But while the damage had been done and the answer in the world had still changed, and last May, the New England Confectionery Company, the longest continuously running candy company in the United States, was sold off in bankruptcy. It used to take 11 months to produce the needed 8 billion hearts to meet the Valentine's Day demand, but the factory is shuttered today. No hearts have been produced. There are still knockoff Knockoff candies, of course, sweet tarts, brocks, but the original chalky conversation hearts that we have grown to love may be gone forever. Now, had they not risked messing with the recipe, would they still be around? We may never know. But isn't that how it is with risk? You never know until you try it. That's why it's a risk. Like the risk of asking someone out in the first place. You never know the response. I remember asking Marty out for the very first time. We were with some friends in my and my roommate Wes's apartment, senior year of college, and she's not here today. 
So I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I will. And see, she and I had already kissed before this moment. And it was, well, kids covered your ears. It was a good kiss, a very good kiss. And I thought, well, why not? We were friends. We kissed. Why not take the risk? And I said something very romantic on the couch with the friends in the room like, hey, we should go out. And of course, she immediately responded with a resounding, yes, I never, I thought you never asked. But in case she listens to the podcast this morning, I should tell you the truth, which is that she laughed at me and said something of the effect of, you're not serious, are you? But I guess I was serious because I asked again and again, and that was sometime probably in November. And by the end of December, she agreed. And we started dating. Five months later, we were engaged. Three months after that, we were married. And 16 years later, here we are. Love. It always requires a risk. A risk that you won't know the result of until you try it. It's the risk of a business opportunity. The risk of helping someone. The risk of forgiveness. The risk of joining a church. The risk of changing the formula in a long-beloved candy It could succeed beyond your wildest dreams, and it could all fall apart. Now, we're talking in this series about the Christian life as a creative process. Two weeks ago, we spoke about dreaming and how before you begin to create anything, you must first have this vision for what it is that you're going to create, this new thing that may have never been done before. Last week, we spoke about hovering, or as Sarah Pratt called it, and I really liked it, the mosey, that that ruminating over what you've dreamt up, thinking about it, creating it in your mind before you ever do something. But eventually, you have to do something. You've got to act. The art must begin. You must invest some money, find the the material that you're going to create from. You must take a risk to take what you've dreamt of to make it into reality. And it's often a huge leap of faith. But have you ever thought about God as a risky God? That creation itself to speak into nothing all that is was a huge risk. To partner with a couple like Abraham and Sarah to form a new nation, this was a risk. It had never been done before. To become human, to live among us, is a risk. To create the church and through the church to recreate the world, this might be the biggest risk of all. But today I want to declare what I believe, and that is that God is a risk-taking God. God can be nothing but a risk-taking God. And Jesus, whom Christians teach, is God in the flesh. Well, Jesus taught his disciples that risk is what it means to be a disciple. This is our parable this morning. Now, the parable of the talents is one of the most misunderstood parables of all time. First off, a talent is a unit of money, not something you audition on America's Got Talent. But in those days, talent was money. It was a large sum of money, a jaw-dropping amount of money. If we had a coin worth half a million dollars today, that would be about the equivalent of a talent in Jesus' day. One talent was worth, was worth approximately six, sorry, yeah, 6,000 days of a typical day laborer's wages. This is a lot of money. As the parable goes, this wealthy master who has so much money, he must be the wealthiest man in all of Palestine, goes on a trip. No one knows where, we're not told, and he decides to leave 
Not his staff, but his slaves. With this ridiculous amount of money, his life savings, all that he'd ever earned in his business ventures to care for while he's away. And one of these slaves gets five talents. Five talents. One, two talents. And one guy gets one. And what would you do if you were given all of this money? The ones with, uh, who had five and the two talents, they take them and they invest them, perhaps in the stock market. Maybe they go gamble. Maybe they start a business and get a huge return. However they do it, we're not told, but they take what was given and they risk it all. And they end up doubling the return. It pays off. The one with two does the same as the one with five, and they end up all doubling their money. But the one with one talent, well, he, God bless him, he saves it, right? This seems like the prudent thing to do. He buries it in a hole in the backyard where no one can find it. He has no idea when the master will return, and he's, well, frankly, scared of the master. He doesn't get that much money being nice, does he? He's, he's crude. He's, he's, he's conniving. He's a harsh judge, he says. So he plays it safe. When the master comes back, the master sees what has happened and he praises the the, the two who had five and two talents. Well done, good and faithful servants, he tells them. You've been faithful with a little, which is a lot, but you've been faithful with a little. I'm going to give you even more. But to the man who saved the talent, who feared the master, he said, you could have at least put it in a bank where it would have gained interest, but instead you feared feared me. You buried it. And for that, I'm kicking you out of here. And because, well, this is the gospel of Matthew and Matthew likes some harsh, dramatic endings. We're told the master throws the slave out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's Jesus's parable. What do we do with it? It's interesting. We're talking about taking a risk On the day we will finalize our new building renovation, when you all took a risk just to be here this morning, I didn't really plan this. It just sort of worked out this way. But yes, to do a building renovation for a church that hasn't done such things in 15 or so years, that's a big risk. We prepared the best we could, gone over plans and budgets and then gone over them again and then a few more times after that, tried new ideas, and we think it's all going to work. But it's a risk. It's always a risk. Life is a risk. Everything worth doing, I think, is a risk. Our parable today, well, it's not intended to give financial advice or even love advice per se, though you might apply it in some way. But I think think we better understand what Jesus is trying to teach us if we just take this whole idea of money out altogether because we're not really talking about the economy when Jesus is sharing the parable. He's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this, he says. And grace, it has been said, is the currency of the kingdom of God. Not money, but grace. That is how we transact in God's kingdom. And so what if instead of money or talents, it's grace that God has given us? What have we done with the grace that God has given us? I grew up in a tradition that believed that grace, well, grace was something you should bury. You were given it, but you never risked it because God was a harsh judge, we thought. Best be safe. Keep out those who don't fit in. Don't rock the boat. Don't take risks with God's grace. But grace, how could it be anything but risky? Grace is inherently risky. Grace is giving of love when you don't deserve it. It's forgiving when you haven't even asked. 
Grace compels us to accept and to love, not because of merit or worth, but just because. Grace, love, these things, they do not make sense. They are jaw-dropping amounts of currency that God has given us. And that's why they're so risky. And if we are to live in the kingdom of God, Jesus seems to suggest that this risk is something we must be comfortable with. To risk the idea that God will even give us grace when we know we're not worthy. Copious amounts of grace heaped upon us even when we don't deserve it. And God calls us to then go out and do the same, to invest the grace that's been given us, not bury it in the dirt, but risk it in human relationship. Invest in grace, grow grace. It may all fall apart or it may change the world. We will fail, it. We will fail at times. It always happens. That's part of risk. And the Nico conversation hearts, well, they may be gone forever, but the risk of love they represent is still alive and well. Jesus calls us this morning to take a risk. God won't be angry at you for risk taking, for risking grace, for risking love. In fact, taking a risk, that might be the most God-like thing you could ever do. Amen. Let us sing number 422, let us talents and tongues employ as we prepare to share in our offering and then come to the Lord's table.